Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah b'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi amka b'it Yisrael. Ve'niyea naknu v'etza'etza'enu v'etza'etza'e amka b'it Yisrael. Kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Let the resurrection begin. May it be soon in our days that we see the return of our Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. I'd like to welcome you to the Vayera C class. So class is now in session. Avengers, assemble. Okay, so one of the things I was looking at in the bracha that we say for the Birkat Torah blessing before Torah, that we say, Ve'lomde Torateka Lishma. What I love about that, like Lomde, like study, because Lamed means to study or also to teach. So you study and you teach, and when you teach, you're also studying. And it says, your Torah, Torateka. And then... Well, first of all, know your name, because we say Kulanu Yodea Shemeka. And may we know your name. So like insinuating knowing Hashem's name is the learning and the studying of Torah. How about that? But then it says Lishma. And what I love about this word is it literally can be rearranged to Le Moshe. Like and study and teach your Torah to Moses, to Moshe. And what I love about this is that what did Moshe do? Because so many times if we say the law of Moses and that old law that people like to commonly say, it's just kind of like, what what did he really do? Because if you think that Moshe made up any letter of Torah, you're already in the wrong position. Because Moshe was the one who went up to Hashem at the behest of us because we were freaking out because Hashem was speaking. We couldn't handle the truth, pretty much. But we were like, you know what? We know who can handle the truth. The same person who handled the truth in order to come to Egypt in the first place to get us. Because Moshe was doing just fine with his wife and his children hanging out in Midian. And all of a sudden, he's hanging out around Sinai and shepherding some sheep. And he sees a bush that's on fire. And Hashem is speaking. Hashem's angel is in the middle of the bush. And it's just like, okay. So when we look at what did Moshe do and why would we be learning and studying the Torah to Moshe, towards Moshe. And it's like the essence of that, because Lishma literally means for its own sake, right? Which, as the uh, Siddur puts it, says, may we study Torah for no other reason. Selah. But we'll keep going. Then to know it and become imbued with its wisdom. So, first of all, no conditions. 
We're just learning it and studying because it's Torah. And then, second of all, we want to know it because knowing it would be knowing the name of Hashem, i.e. following Mashiach. Yes, following Mashiach means knowing Hashem, means knowing the name of Hashem, means studying the Torah for its own sake. And become imbued with his wisdom. Because when you follow Mashiach, you'd be studying the Torah, you'd be teaching the Torah, you'd be imbued with the wisdom of the Torah, which is knowing the name of Hashem. But then the whole lay Moshe part, we become like Moshe at this point. Because when we study Torah for no other reason, when we follow Mashiach for no other reason, when we get to know the name of Hashem for no other reason, we become towards Moshe, like approaching Moshe. Because all of us on our best day are like worlds away from Moshe. As far as the ark traveled ahead of the camp of Israel, that's how far we are from Moshe. And if you have any problems with that, just read the end of Devarim, and then we'll talk about that. So, that's what I would like to just point out to the table. And if that's not enough, listen to the incredible Talmud, a.k.a. Professor Talmud, uh, Professor Mikael Nicholson. Yeah, that's right. The, the big green guy. He has a beautiful midrash that he brought down about Hasatan coming to take the soul of Moshe and that whole ordeal. Like, just just saying, uh, none of us match up to Moshe, but we can be towards Moshe when we do what the Bracha says. So that's the first thing I want to lead out with. Second thing I want to lead out with is most people who come up to you as a Lapidnik or to leadership like rabbi or, you know, our administrative of get you some, a.k.a. Keturah, I'm trying to um, have her become the Shomer version of Rogue. But, uh, you know, if if anybody could help with that, you know, don't get too close because, you know, you touch Rogue, it like drains your energy and stuff. But, you know, I, I would like for her to become the Shomer version of Rogue. And I don't know if she has agreed to it or not, but the, the name and standing is Kabela because the whole thing from Kabbalah, like Kabal, meaning receive. So she would be Kabela, which is like the one who receives. And because Rogue is so legit, like whatever she touches, she can duplicate. And many of us that know Keturah, i.e. our administrator of Get You Some, like whatever she touches, she can duplicate. It's just like, okay. So anyway, for those of you who know her, please encourage her to take on the name Cabela. You know, we don't usually force people into being a Avenger until we force people into being a Avenger. Just saying. But anyway, <laughs> so someone comes up to her. Someone comes up to leadership. Someone comes up to you. Someone texts Rabbi because they never do this to his face. It's really interesting how this all works. Really. They say, oh, we've surpassed you. Oh, we don't want to listen to any of the teachings or any of the media that Sarshalom puts out. Oh, we've heard this before. Oh, we're beyond that. I'm looking for something deeper. I'm looking for something, 
you know, I, I need the, the Zohar, like as an IV drip. I need, um, you know, copious amounts of hours of other rabbis who have been, you know, being a rabbi since they're a toddler and their great, great, great grandfather goes back and is a big rabbi. So, you know, we've surpassed you little people. And furthermore, that turns into um, invalidating Sar Shalom, invalidating people who attend Sar Shalom, pulling people away from the flock, you name it. So I want to bring that up because the very thing that these individuals will come to you with, and trust me, they will. So I'm preparing you now because this has happened to me quite a few times. And obviously because homie don't play that to put it in the hood terms, homie don't play that. Um, I don't get these things anymore. So Baruch Hashem. But so you can become a homie don't play that. Um, ask them. Okay. So you've surpassed everybody, right? Okay. So you just got here. How long you been here? One year, six months. Two years, what, how long, what are we talking? You know, because if it's more than nine years, first of all, then I would be willing to listen to you a little bit, like to see maybe what are you getting at? But if you haven't been around for nine years at Sar Shalom, first of all, you don't have any feet to walk on. So, uh, just go return to Yeshua and start from there. Like, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua, start from there. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump over the impossible hurdle, okay? First, second of all. Now, if they somehow can say yes to that, which I don't know how they could. Social Home hasn't even been around for nine years. But anyway, I digress. Have you spoken with Rabbi about this? Well, no, no, I haven't. I tried to, and you know, Rabbi's so busy. Da, 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 and I had to go, had to go talk to Gatura, and Gatura doesn't want to talk to me anyway. It's like, okay, it's two things right there: attitude. If there's not a humble attitude, that right there tells you consider your source. What this person has to say is already not legit. And second part of that, before com com like completely invalidating them is say, hey, why don't you give it a try? Give it a chance. Reach out. Then come back and talk to me about wherever you're at, right? I mean, not that we need to really have this conversation, but it's going to happen. So what do you do? And it's like, okay. So they went to talk to Rabbi, so they say. They went to talk to Keturah, so they say. They went to talk to Beit Dean, so they say. So... How how has that developed and how has that progressed? You know, what what was said, you know, what was the result of everything? Consider that, right? So then you got this whole thing of, okay, so if you're on such a level, are we talking, uh, are you able to teach any of this? Are you able to shepherd anybody in this? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 I got plenty of videos. I got plenty of sources. You know, you can just go buy them and read them and all that. No, 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 no. Can you personally invest some of your time 
no, 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 man, I don't have time for this, you know, it's just like, we just need to have somebody just doing this stuff, like, I don't know why no one's not, I haven't spent all this hours, like, listening to all these droshes from other rabbis and other, you know, sex and things like that, and so, you know, I got it down, it's just like, okay, so if you got it down, why don't you teach it, why don't you put together some curriculum, and, and walk people through it, don't just put together curriculum and throw it at people, and second of all, again, go back to leadership. Like this things needs to go through leadership. There shouldn't be like this peer on peer, like, hey, let's surpass the shul. Because number one, you can't. And number two, that kind of attitude is poison. Because when you don't do the Torah for its own sake and you have a reason, i.e. we've surpassed people and all that kind of stuff, you've now just destroyed your whole house of cards. You blew on your own deck, basically. <laughs> you toppled your own dominoes that you stood up in a beautiful pattern. And then you just kind of accidentally bumped up against one and it just knocked all the other ones over. Now, the sound of dominoes falling is very satisfying to some of us. Uh, but, you know, it just, that's what it is. You know, that's really what it becomes. So, I want to bring that up and point that out. Because most times people with these kinds of attitudes and airs about them and arrogance, number one, they don't want to invest the time to teach and walk with people through certain things, help people grow. Uh, Rabbi said a beautiful drop in the conversion class last week. Yep, that's right. Baruch Hashem, I was able to make teshuva and listen to all of the conversion classes. Now, I've been through conversion classes probably twice, maybe three times. I don't know. I lost track now. Definitely twice. And, uh, you know, Rabbi gave me that you need to make the shuva look in my face <laughs> last week when we were talking. He's like, yeah, did you see the conversion class? Last night? We were talking about this whole thing with Paul's letters being scripture and how like that's nonsensical. And I'm like, no, I didn't see the class. And he just gave me that look. And I was like, oh, snap. So I had to go watch two classes, <laughs> catch up anyway. So enough about me. Back to you back to all of us. Okay. So he said this beautiful drop. He says, uh, Zakin Rayford brings up Zakin Mill comma. That is each mill comma war machine. Come on. Uh, brings up this, uh, understanding about how long it takes to turn a carrier, like a big old ship. Like you don't like this big old, huge, massive thing that's out on the ocean. Like you don't just turn that thing on a dime. You, it takes, strategy it takes calculations it takes the whole thing with working the rudder and working against the waves and all that kind of stuff that whatever's going on with the elements and then you got to turn that thing and it takes a minute and it takes some space and so what i loved about that drop is that this is the thing that we all have to think about because many of us who have just understood what lapid is who've entered into following torah after we've been saying that we've been following the Mashi the Mashiach for years, you know, oh, I grew up in church. I know everything about the Bible. It's like, well, do you? Because cause do you know what the Mishnah says? And it's like, no, 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 about no Mishnah. What are you talking about? It's like, well, how well do you know the Bible? Because when it said, you know, slaughter the animals like I showed you, what does that even mean? Because that, that's totally a passage in the Bible. And furthermore, how are you going to uh, observe the Shabbat and guard it and keep it holy and all that? What are you, you going to do? Oh, well, I no, 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 stop. Because now when you start conjuring up, which is what you're really doing, because it's witchcraft. Because, by the way, did you know 
um, studying or coming up with uh, esoteric thought on Torah without it being uh, anchored in obedience and anchored in, you know, Peshat level foundational principles of Torah, it's called witchcraft. So if you want to be a person who goes, oh man, I know all this esoteric stuff. And it's like, yeah, but do you know what verse it's connected to? And, you know, what is the simple meaning of that text? And are you even observant at all? Like, are you Shomer Shabbos? You know, it's like, no, I'm not. I don't even know what you just asked me. It's like, okay. So everything that you have to say to me right now, we're just going to take it, put it in a, a big old air box. We're going to close it, put a little packing tape on it, and we're going to ship it to file 13. That's what we're going to do. Right, what, what are you saying right now? I'm saying don't listen to it. Because someone who is not, you know, they don't even understand the humash. Like, why are you going to listen to them tell you what, you know, uh, the the Midot or the Sephirot or the Gematria or the, you know, like, you can't even tell me where, what is an Aliyah, where is an Aliyah, like, how do you understand where the Aliyot are, uh, what is a Humash, you know, what's a Haftarah portion, like, you can't tell me any of that, but you want to break all that down? Clearly, someone has uh, been mistaken. So anyway, so that all happens, right? And so, you know, the people who want to go fly way up there into the ice zone, to quote Iron Man from Iron Man 1, how'd you solve the icing problem? <laughs> you didn't. Okay, cool. Because you're about to ice out and you're going to fall all the way down like a, a block of ice, like 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 in this week's tour portion. Big, big balls of ice full of fire. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be this fire flame lit, Jew overnight person that soars all the way in the air and then you're going to over ice yourself and then you're just going to fall crash down to the earth and there's going to be ice and fire everywhere so anyway just want to say that uh these people that do that they, they're not willing to invest time there's no humility to come before leadership and submit to it and all that kind of stuff because Quite frankly, they don't even consider the leadership leadership and valid at that point. Yep, that is true. Hard hitting facts right out the gate. So they call me Iron Man. But anyway, uh, moving on, I wanted to talk about the Halakha to launch off into this week's Torah portion. Because in Parsha Vayera, we have this distinction that's being brought forth about who belongs to Hashem and who belongs to Egypt and Egypt obviously being non-Jews and the world at large because everyone who was in Egypt was pretty much from all over the entire world wasn't just native born people who were born in Egypt but it was also people who traveled there Egypt was like like the it like it was it was it like the world was Egypt like everybody and their grand sister knew oh yeah Egypt oh yeah Sleeka, let's put it this way. Nine measures or ten measures of uh, magic and all that kind of stuff was given to the world. Nine of them went to Egypt. Let's just point that out. So, like, Egypt was like the bomb.com and they knew how to make the bomb do whatever they wanted it to do. So, 
What I wanted to talk about with that is when we say who are Hashem's people, what are those people called? They're called Jews. They're called Hebrews. They're called Israelites, which is really funny because here you are, you have Hashem's people and you can't even tell who's who unless you look at the map and there's this little place called Goshen which really is a part of Israel, not really a part of Africa, but we'll digress because I talked about this before, previous podcast. But they're in Goshen. And then, furthermore, you have people who are beginning to put their faith in Moshe. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Put their faith in Moshe, like the way we put our faith in Messiah. What does that mean? That means we align ourselves with his message and we hearken to it. We do it. We become obedient. We become subject to it. We lock ourselves underneath servitude of it. Whatever Moshe says, we do. Because we know that whatever Moshe said is what Hashem said. Because Moshe didn't have time for saying what he wanted to say. Unless it was, Hashem, you can't send me to these people. What What are you doing, Hashem? I can't even talk. You know, like, ain't nobody going to listen to me. First of all, even if they do listen to me, like, how is Pharaoh going to listen to me? He hates my guts. He tried to kill me. And Shem's like, seriously, bro. But anyway, I digress. So these Jews just so happen to be in our Halakha. What is a Jew? Who is a Jew? So if you go to our Halakha on page 24, there's a big old blue title. Sarshalom Halakha. Get you some. Go to mysarshalom.com. You can download your official copy of the Halakha. You can print it out if you want to. Get you some. Anyway, page 24. According to Orthodox Jewish law, a Jew is defined as one who has a Jewish mother or who is a convert to Judaism. Although... The Torah is clearly a paternal lineage, like Yaakov, son of Yitzhak, etc. And by the way, the whole thing with those of us who have faith in Messiah are called sons of Abraham. There's that. So like there's a whole paternal lineage, right? So it says Judaism adopted the custom of determining Jewish status based upon the mother. Where did this come from? In response to the many trials, pogroms, and other Christian persecutions that plagued Israel. Okay? So the whole thing about your mother Jewish, that is a what's called response to trials, pogroms, other Christian persecutions that plagued Israel. Now, next statement. Before modern DNA science, it was difficult to determine the paternal heritage, especially in the case of rape. However, it has always been clear who one's mother is, according to rabbinic law. The question of Jewish identity has been addressed in one of two ways. Either the individual is born of a Jewish mother or they have converted formally to Orthodox Judaism. Anything short of this negates, according to Judaism, any legitimate Jewishness. All right, so that's the opener, right?
It's like, all right, Judy, if you're Jewish, if you're a Jew, if you're a Hebrew, if you're Israelite, if you're a Hebrew, do you have a mother or did you convert? Like, do you have a mother who is a Hebrew Jewish, Jewess? Okay. Do you have that? Were you born from her? It's like, okay. Not to mention, it doesn't give you a blatant saying of, uh, well, who is the man that uh, is the cause of you being born by this woman? It's like, well, what if it was a non-Jewish man having relations with this Jewish woman? And then there's a child born. It's like, okay, obviously we, we just established it's all about paternal. So it would have to be a Jewish man with a Jewish woman having a baby. That baby would be considered a Jew. However, that baby still has to convert. That's why they get circumcised on the eighth day. And that's why they have a bar mitzvah. That's why they do all sorts of other things. But I digress. So we see this right here at the gate, right? So it says the statement below aptly captures the Jewish idea of what it means to be Jew. It is important to note that being a Jew has nothing to do with what you believe or what you do. A person born to non-Jewish parents who has not undergone the formal process of conversion, but who believes everything that Orthodox Jews believe and observes, every law and custom of Judaism is still a non-Jew. Even in the eyes of the most liberal movements of Judaism and a person born to a Jewish mother who is an atheist and never practices the Jewish religion is still a Jew. Even in the eyes of ultra-Orthodox. In this case, Judaism is more like a nationality than other religions. And being Jewish is like a citizenship. This has been established since earliest days of Judaism. In the Torah, you will see many references to the strangers who dwell among you, or righteous proselytes, or righteous strangers. These are various classifications of non-Jews who lived among Jews, adopting some or all of the beliefs and practices of Judaism without going through the formal process of conversion and becoming Jews. Once a person has converted to Judaism, he is not referred to by any special term. He is as much a Jew as anyone born Jewish. That is from Tracy R. Rich, Judaism 101, which is a resource on the web. Going on, it says, this is the traditional Jewish stance. Now, the question becomes, what is the biblical position in light of the revelation of Mashiach? Some within Judaism teach that one is Jewish, not by faith or by works, but by birth or rebirth in the case of a convert. OK, so it's we're honing in on a little centralized point, no matter what, which way you want to slice this cake, so to speak, the proverbial cake, which I wish was chocolate because I love chocolate cake. Like the yellow cake with the chocolate icing, the two layer, you bake it in the round dish and you put the chocolate icing on it. Like it's a yellow cake with chocolate icing, two round cakes, you know, boom, like, bam. That's like my favorite. I love it. Especially if it's like really soft and squishy and spongy looking. Oh my gosh. 
anyway, enough about me. Back to us. Says, so we got this whole thing on birth, right? And this is how you find out who is a Jew. What is your definition of a Jew? One who's born, whether naturally of a Jewish mother or reborn in the birth, in the case of convert conversion, which I love because we just discovered conversion means being born again. <laughs> Yeshua says we have to be born again. Uh, can we say Yeshua says we need to convert? <laughs> what about those born of a Jewish mother? The answer is convert. You got to be born again. This is why Noctimon, a.k.a. known as Nicodemus most times, he says, what, can you go back into your mother's womb and what, be born again? Because he's like, come on, man, we're we're all Jews here. What are you talking about? It's like, are we all Jews? Because cause if, if you're going to be born of spirit, then your spirit, you know, but that which is born of flesh, it's flesh. Because all this other stuff that we just talked about up here, that goes away when you got a person who's truly been born again. Because I guarantee you, if you're born again, you're not going to be atheist. You're not going to be just culturally Jewish. I mean, you're going to live it. You're going to be in this thing to win it. And you're going to help other people in the world do the same. And by the way, because it says, you know, that, uh, you know, if they're atheists or if they never practice Jew, like, okay, come on. If you're truly born again, especially through Mashiach Yeshua, you will be practicing Judaism. You will not be an atheist. I mean, should I say more? But anyway, just to clear all that up. Says, yet what does Mashiach say concerning the matter? The seemingly radical answer is Jewishness comes by Teshuva and Amuna, repentance and faith, returning to God and doing the faith filled works of God's voice. That's what Jewishness is. According to Mashiach standards. And I don't know about you. But if I had my choice between Rabbi so-and-so from whatever sect of Judaism or from whatever Eruv or from whatever synagogue, I'm going to put my hat in Yeshua's bucket, okay? Because I'm pretty sure Yeshua knows what he's talking about. Anyway, it says that is a radical concept to Jews and a great number of Messianic Jews as well. So let me ask you a question real quick, because I'm going to interject before we finish this. Are you making shuva as best as you can? And are you filled and overflowing and bursting like wellsprings of living water bursting with Imuna? Because if so, my friend, I have news for you, and it's the prognosis that you're Jewish. That's how you become a Jew. <laughs> anyway, so this is in our Halakha, page 24. Let's get back to it. It says, this is a radical concept of Jews and a great number of Messianic Jews as well. It is likely to shock non-Jews also who would refrain from referring to themselves as Jews. 
Nobody wants to refer to themselves as Jews, apparently, if they if they've been, you know, good Bible loving believers and they follow the Messiah and they will give their life for God in a moment. It's like, well, if you truly give your life for God in a moment, you would live like a Jew. By the way, that's what Jews do. We give our lives away all the time because we have to eat kosher. I mean, we don't have to. Let me rephrase it. We choose to eat kosher. We choose to keep Shabbat. We choose to dress as a new. We choose to follow the commandments. We choose to study the Torah. That's called giving your life away. Why? Because is this something you came up with that you need to do? Or is this something that God has commanded us to do and we're doing it? I.e. becoming obedient. Forsaking our desires for the sake of his desires. Okay, we're back to Lishma again. Okay, back for its own sake, for the sake of he who commanded it, that kind of thing. That's called giving your life away. Because at no point do you go, fine, I'll eat kosher, but this is how I'm going to do it. It's like, no, I eat kosher, and this is how you eat kosher. Not, this is how I'm going to eat kosher. Because that insinuates, well, I can mix meat and dairy because I can still have kosher meat and I can still have kosher dairy stuff. And then because I eat kosher, I'm going to make sure those items are kosher. So now I can just mix them together. Just, you know, because that's fine. You know, you start making up your own precepts for kashrut. And it's like, okay, so I want to work on that. Anyway. Uh, so going on, it says it is likely to shock non-Jews who would refrain from referring to themselves as Jews. This is also supported by tractate Megillah 13a, which states for whoever repudiates, i.e. disdain, ain't nobody got time for that. Idolatry. Is called a Judite. In other words, anyone turning towards Hashem, thus repudiating idolatry, is a Jew. Now, this continues to go on all the way through to page, I'm scrolling, 28. Okay, you got four pages about being a Jew. I just gave you an introduction, an opening. This gets absolutely ridiculous. I'm talking footnotes. I'm talking passage references, lining stuff up. I mean, goodness gracious. 24 to 28. You want to learn about what what, what is a Jew, who's a Jew, all that? That's how you do it. So I just want to point out, idolatry is anything that is uh, against the Torah. Anything against the will, desire, and voice of Hashem. I.e., so if you want to say, well, I'm not going to celebrate what's in Leviticus 23, but however, I celebrate this, 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 and this. Well, are any of those this, this, and this, and this in Leviticus 23? It's like, no, I told you I don't do that. And it's like, well, congratulations, you're an idolater. Or not congratulations. Anyway, so there's that. So there's our halakha for the week about being a Jew, we need to be people who are born again. The cool thing about it is it's not just a one-time deal and you can do it as many times until you die. 
Yep. Until your your spirit is no longer with your body, you, my friend, myself included, we all continue to be born again. So the question that gets asked, are you saved? Are you in covenant? It's like, absolutely. And I'm continuing to be. To quote my good friend, Tom, that was a beautiful answer. You know, yes, I'm saved and I'm continuing to be. And I was just kind of like, the only thing missing from that is get you some by somebody else because you don't want to be so boastful. But anyway, so I'll boast for you, Tom. That's what I'll do. Okay, so anyway, uh, working on your Avenger character, I think I know who it is, by the way. So I'm really excited about that. I'll have to talk to you soon with the help of Hashem. So anyway... Shouts out to all the Avengers, C-Class, and Session. Uh, that is our portion of Halakha for this week. So stand by for Parsha Vieira on the Basora Connection. All right, so in Parsha Vieira this week, one of the things I want to start out with is Rabbi GQ, a.k.a. Rabbi Greenbaum, and he brings down in his commentary for the week Starting off with this title, The Pharaoh Within Us. So, Paro. Uh, so, each of us contain Paro within us. Beautiful thing is, each of us contain Moshe within us. But we'll talk about that another time. So, in his commentary, he says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and when he stumbles. Let not your heart exult. Lest God will see it. Or lest God will see, and it will be bad in his eyes. Mishle 24.17 In Shomer Blue, commentary on that verse says, When your foe falls, be not glad, and when he stumbles, let your heart not rejoice. This is why Yeshua would, by the way, tell us to pray for our enemies. It says, though the wicked have a deserved downfall, a righteous man may not gloat. That's from Rabbi Yonah. Going on, it says, this seems to contradict Mishle 11.10, which states when the wicked perish, there is a glad song. Rabbi Yonah explains that a totally righteous man may rejoice because he takes pride in the increased honor gained by Hashem. An ordinary person's joy, however, reflects his sense of personal victory and revenge. That is wrong. That is Rabbi Yonah and also a vote 424. So like, in other words, a totally righteous person, which there was none, righteous but Mashiach Yeshua which is the only reason why he could be the Mashiach if anybody else was as righteous as Mashiach which would mean that they had completely no sin within them they would be up for candidacy but Mashiach is Mashiach like i.e. Yeshua ben Yosef the coming king Mashiach ben David all the same person Okay, so he was the only one who's considered to be totally righteous. Yet, at the downfall of evil, he rejoiced, which is what he did while he was suffering. So let's think about that. The one who is totally righteous, 
who was rejoicing at the downfall of an enemy, was doing so as he suffered and was doing so for the sake, as the commentary says, increased honor gained by Hashem. That was the type of rejoicing Mashiach was doing. So if you really want to be a person like that, first of all, work on having no sin and being completely righteous, never having an impure or improper thought, never experiencing a 60th of death when you fall asleep, never uh, having been outside of covenant with Hashem for a moment. Okay, so there's that. So then we go on. The next part of this commentary says a person's true enemy is his evil inclination, i.e. the Yetzirah, which is connected to the angel of death, which is connected to Hasatan. How do we know that? I'm so glad you asked myself and Professor Xavier this week. We're having a little shootout because he found everything or, or well, not everything, obviously, but he found a few things. Torah teaches and um, he found it in like this weird Egyptian like Muslim Islam I don't know what kind of faith system this is probably more Egyptian than anything he found all of that he found like the virgin birth he found like the seven uh, battle the seven personalities that we have says uh, what is it we have what is it? What does he say? Quite to the contrary, these different gods, there's like seven of them, right? Which are like the seven sephirot, the seven things that we have to count the omer to rectify. So he's found all this as a little picture. It's a meme. It's got them all here. And it doesn't mention them by name, but it all says that all things come from and is expressed through the divine principles in this and so it's looking at how these are all inside of us. And so like, anyway, so that's just kind of an aspect of some things we've been doing. But anyway, he found pretty much like the the other side, which is called Citra Akra, the anti-holiness or the outside of Torah mindset framework. Uh, he found a few things and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what in the world? Not that he believes in it, but he's just trying to find the truth. And again, his superpower is Cerebro, so he can find whether he wants to mutants or humans and he can hone in on it. And so um, kind of like, dude, can you find some more stuff that we can like shine the light of Torah on? But anyway, so he gave me a whole list of different things that he found, like some memes and some little points of philosophy. And Sure enough, it's all in the Torah, like, but lined up. So these aspects here, I just bring this up because, you know, the lower seven sephirot that we work on during counting the Omer, you know, like Chesed, Gevura, Hod, Nagzak, so on and so forth, like all those. So those things, right, are, are what we need to rectify. And our Yetzahara is this entity within us or it's a part of us, I should say, a desire, a drive, that's better said that way, that um, if we don't harness it, it gets out of control. It's like, you know, you have a, a crazy dog, right? 
We love dogs. Dogs are beautiful. You know, some people may not, so that's okay. Um, but you know, if you have a dog that's untrained, oh my gosh, talking about using the restroom in inappropriate places, talking about tearing up your house, talk about terrorizing the neighborhood, your household included. It's like, okay, but if you have a beautiful dog that's trained, you know, I'm talking big dog, I ain't talking no little, you know, lap dog. I'm talking big dog. Like I will sit on you and suffocate you, big dog. That's what our Yetahara is. But it can be trained. And so in Kiddushin 30b, Tractate of Talmud, so too the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, my children, I created an evil inclination, i.e. Yetahara, which is the wound, because we ate from the tree, you know, the serpent or the venoms, this venom of the serpent was uh, brought into us. Prior to that, that was not a thing. So before we got bit by the snake, it says, so this is the wound. So Hashem's like, well, now you have your Yetzahara to deal with. And it says, and I created the Torah as its antidote. If you are engaged in Torah study, you will not be given over into the hand of the Yetzahara, as it is stated. If you do well, shall it not be lifted up? Bereshit 4.7. One who engages in Torah study lifts himself above the Yetzahara. Going on, let's see here. Yep, Bava Batra 16a. So I'm like Kiddushin, and then I'm like Bava Batra. Says, Reish Lakis says, Satan and the Yetzahara and the Malak Hamavit, the angel of death, are one. That is... They are three aspects of the same essence. So now you want to talk about a trinity? How about that? So for all those people who believe in the Trinitarian doctrine, there's your trinity. It's the Satan, the evil inclination, and the angel of death. There are three aspects of the same essence. Part of it lives in us. So anyway, just want to point that out, the whole three-in-one thing. But uh, yeah, anyway, so it says he is the Satan who seduces people, then accuses them as it is written. So, so the Satan went forth from the presence of Adonai and smote Eov, which is Job, with vile sores. Mm, sounds like the boils from Parshavaira, but that's in Job 2.7. <clears throat> he is also the evil inclination. As it is written there, the impulse of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Bereshit 6.5 As it is written here, only upon himself do not put forth your hand. Job 1.12 The verbal analogy between the various uses of the word only teaches that the Yetzahara is to be identified with the Satan. He is also the angel of death, as it is written, only spare his life. Job 2.6. Apparently, Job's life depends upon him, the Satan, and accordingly, the Satan must also be the angel of death. That is Baba Batra 16a, connected with what our Yetzahara is from Kiddushin 30b. So, Paro being 
within us, the Yetzirah being within us. And now as we're looking at Mishle 24.17, Proverbs 24.17 says, A person's true enemy is his Yetzirah, evil inclination. Even if he has succeeded in defeating temptation once, he must not be complacent and think he is now the victor. Rather, he should continue to be vigilant. Vigilant. You hear that word? Vigilant. Like what a superhero is, a vigilante, right? Like this person who just takes over and just saves the world from all sorts of crime. That's why Avengers is a thing. We have to be saving ourselves from our own crime. As weird as that is. Imagine you're a superhero, right? And then imagine you're superhero, but as a villain, Okay, and like that's who your challenger is. It's like that's your own self. If you can defeat your own supervillain, if everybody's doing that, we have now saved the world. Just want to point that out, because if you imagine, just imagine, use your imagination for a second. If everybody is defeating their own evil inclination and bringing it into subjection to the Torah of Hashem. You now have a world full of victorious people unleashing light from their own darkness. So it's like everybody turning on a flashlight at the same time, striking a match at the same time, lighting a torch at the same time. If everybody in the world did that, I'm just saying, sounds like redemption, redemption. So may it be that we lead the world into being victorious over our own self because one who is victorious over his own self defeats evil from another person because the evil that we experience from another person is a reflection of our own personal evil. Did you know that? If you didn't, now the more you know. Okay, so it says because the war is never over. The war against our Yetzirah is never over. Until we're resurrected, we will be battling this thing out class will always be in session okay so this is from the darashot sefer mishle so that's connected to power right and in the daily wisdom this is brought up because that's mishle 24 17 shomer blue commentary so now i want to go back to what the daily wisdom brought up about Pyro because it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, let's see here. It is from the second Aliyah. So let's find it here. Second Aliyah. How to talk to Pyro. Okay. Again, we'll get back to Rabbi GQ, but I just want to circle these dots here. Okay. It says, so in the daily wisdom uh, for the second reading, Dropping some Lakute Sikot, volume 16, page 74 through 76, says, There are times in our lives when our inner paro, i.e., our animal drives, because that's what, again, we talk about the dog, right? The big dog. It says, uh, Seem to have the upper hand. Like our animal drives just taking over. It's like, Oh, I can't control myself. I try, but it's futile. So, so that happens, right? At such times. So when that happens, when your dog gets out of control, the best way to overcome these drives is to channel 
our inner Moshe. Here we go. We're talking about the inner Moshe. We have an inner Pharaoh, and we also have an inner Moshe. So we channel our inner Moshe. How do we do that? We rage against them, insult them, humiliate them, take charge, basically. Says, it's true regarding our mission to oppose negativity in the world at large. Of course, we must always convey God's message in a pleasant and peaceful way. As I always like to say, well, we're really peaceful people. We don't fight unless we're provoked. So guess what? When your animal drive gets out of control, when your pyro gets all up in your pace, your face, um, you gotta, you're provoked. So it's time to, you know, pull out the sword of the spirit. And it says, just as God commanded Moshe to address Paro respectfully, but at the same time, we must approach our Paros fearlessly and forcefully because Shaul says, I buffet my body, right? He says, you know, I make it my slave. I beat it into submission. That's what happens. You got to train your dog. Take over. Let your dog know who's boss. He don't pay the bills in your house. Hashem does. Because he gives you part of the sauce so that you can do that. I mean, you have to actually pay it, but Hashem provides for you to pay. And it says, if we remain true to God's message, we can break the power of darkness and help bring God redemptive light into the world. Did I say flashlights and matches and torches? All right. So that's how you do it. Lakute Sikot, volume 16, page 74 to 76. Unleash. And we have to remain true to God's message. We have to give ourselves to the study of the Torah. And that's how we stand up and make our body submissive to the word of God. Okay. So back to Rabbi GQ. We may not laugh over Paro's downfall because there is a Paro in each of us. This is the stubborn Melech who rules in our hearts and our ego our vanity and pride, the I, the me. Okay. Cause, uh, yeah. So if we ever think, Oh, I hate that person. And I'm so glad that they got what they deserve. It's like, really? Cause do you have an ego? Are you a vain person? Are you a prideful person? Are you an I, I and team person? Are you a me, me, me trying to sing a scale person? Because if that's the case, you got a problem because your own stubbornness is is there. It's present and it shouldn't be. So there's that. This is why we don't get to laugh because we're not a totally righteous person. And even if we were totally righteous again, go back to the only one who was totally righteous that rejoiced at the downfall of evil was a person who was suffering unto death, praying for people who were killing him. And also bringing glory to God at the same time. So unless any of us are doing that. And it's really hard to come back from death. Unless death has no power over you. And unless you can command death to banish itself. Can you do that? I can't. Anyway, uh, the next thing it says, writ large. In the drama of Moshe coming against Paro and the name of God is the story of our inner lives. 
So again, you're looking at Parsha Vieira, you're looking at your own life. Moshe's going to Paro. Paro's like, whatever, I don't know what you're talking about. Moshe's like, well, fine, there's going to be a plague. Paro's like, whatever, bring your plague and your plagues, friend. We ready for you. Okay, we got this. Plague happens. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. God is God. I'm a nothing. I repent. Y'all can leave. Da -da 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 -da. Please make the plague stop. And the plague stop. Everything gets better. Okay. Woo. Let's go. And it's like, no, y'all can't go nowhere. I'm the king around here. I got this. And it's like, okay, let's start over. Here comes another plague. Well, I'm going to give you the message first. So please let the people go so they can come worship me. By the way, I'm going to cite that verse to you because let my people go. I mean, that's kind of the verse, but it's not really because there's a lot more to it. So that when people try to make fun of Moshe, Moshe and go, let my, 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 my people, let my, let my people go. And it's just like, didn't really go like that, but okay. I get what you're trying to accomplish because you said Moshe had a speech impediment, but that's not really what a speech impediment was anyway. And by the way, he spoke perfect Hebrew when he spoke to Paro because Hashem said, I'm with your mouth. <laughs> so, so there's, there's that. And by the way, Rashi with his old crazy self brought down the commentary about being with Moshe's mouth. Talking about, uh, first of all, Am I not the one who gave the mouth? Am I not the one who gave the ability to see? Am I not the one who gave the ability to hear? You know, so like if you're thinking any of these are problems, you know, what are you talking about? Because I made these things. Obviously, I can fix them. And I was just thinking Mashiach, you know, made them cause the mute to speak, cause the deaf to hear, cause the blind to see, i.e., Hashem was with our eyes, was with our ears, was with our mouth. Just like Hashem said, I will be with your mouth, Moshe. I will cause your your slowness of speech to be perfected. So I just wanted to say law on that about, you know, when Hashem says he's going to do something and when Mashiach did something. Because when Mashiach did something, that's Hashem doing something. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, so we got that all in us, right? And so we're looking at ourselves versus ourselves when we look at Moshe going before Pharaoh. And then, you know, this is the kind of thing where the typical story of, okay, God, whatever you do, whatever you want, I'll j just deliver me from this affliction. And it's just like, okay, you, you make your promise to God and you get delivered from the affliction. Everything is better. And you fall through on your promise. It's like, yeah, because Pharaoh did that every single time. And it was just kind of like, what's it going to take? The death of your firstborn, which would, by the way, be your soul. Because if we're all born of the word of God and like he breathed into us and stuff, like that's the firstborn. That's the breath of the firstborn coming into us. So like, it's going to take our death? Because that was the only time Pyro became obedient and actually sent the people out and loaded by the way, he was just like, get out of here. I don't want to see your faces leave. And it's like, whatever, go get your stuff, get your God and take your, your Jewishness and go, just get, go get your Torah, go out in the wilderness. Okay. It's like, okay. So that was, that's what it took. But Shalom, it should take that for us. All right. So anyway, so that's by era. We're looking at ourselves, right? 
So going on, it says that this is a daily conflict, okay, and struggles in the test of free will to which we are all subjected. One side of us, i.e. Moshe, consciousness or conscience, knows what we should do. But another side, Paro, the evil urge, the king riding the chariot, resists. There are constant ups and downs in the trial of free will. Today, one wants to, Paro relents. Tomorrow, he hardens his heart again and resists. Does it need plagues to beat this Paro down? Or can we find better ways to get free and take our destiny into our hands? That's what he leaves us with. And he says, Shabbat Shalom, Kodesh Tov, Um Vorach. Okay, because by the way, we're getting ready to head into another Rosh Hodesh, which will be um, second day. Second day will be Rosh Hodesh. So get you some of that. Looking forward to that. So after Shabbat, uh, we have first day and then first day has sundown and then we go into Yom Shani, which is second day. That will be Rosh Hodesh Shabbat. So at that point, we will be 15 days away from Tuba Shabbat, which is all about the fruits, the new year for the trees. By the way, just a little meditation on that is uh, men are like trees. Yeshua says you should know a tree by its fruit. So your fruit obviously is the things that in your life, like your deeds, your actions, your your midod, your character, all that goodness. Right. So what kind of fruit you have? Because this is a good time to think about renewing that. So anyway, a little tuba Shabbat drop, 15th of Shabbat. So that's coming up. So anyway, so that's why he says Chodesh Tov, because by the time he greets us again um, for for another drop kick to the face, it's going to be the month of Shabbat. So, all right, so we established that dynamic, Pyro versus Moshe, that's us, you know, our urge versus our conscience, you know, the thing that Shaul talks about in uh, Romans chapter 7, you know, it's like, who will set me free from this body of death? You know, like I, in my mind, I want to serve the Torah of Hashem and I try and I do, you know, da, 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 da. It's like, well, Mashiach, i.e. the Torah, that's what will deliver us and set us free. And then that's why he'll go into chapter eight of his letter by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Mashiach. Because why? Because when you're in Torah study, you're making tikkun for all sorts of things. Last thing I want to say before getting into the Basora section is this whole thing about the siege. Okay, because this whole thing about uh, the way a king goes to war against the city. Uh, it it was like absolutely incredible. So let me see here if I can find this. This, I believe, was from G. Shekel. So let me see. The way a king makes war. Mm-mm-mm. We shall find it with the help of Hashem. Uh, okay, looking through my notes here. If I can spell siege right.
Apologize for the silence. I, with the help of Hashem, will get this. I know it's close to the end of this commentary. Remember about GQ. Um. Haha. It is. It's Rabbi GQ. I love it. Okay. So he says, so Rabbi Greenbaum again on the par Shavaira. He says, our rabbis of blessed memory says, Hakadosh Baruchu brought the plagues up on them, the Egyptians, i.e., our inner Paro, our Yetzahara, evil inclination. Says, brought the plagues upon them using tactics of worldly kings. When a region rebels against a king of flesh and blood, he sends his legions to surround it. The first thing he does is to shut off their water supply. If they relent, all the better. If not, he brings against them criers with loud voices, then arrows, barbarian hordes. He hurls heavy weights at them, shoots burning oil, fires cannon, rouses multitudinous armies against them, imprisons them, kills their great ones. And the same way Hakadosh Baruchu came against the Egyptians with the tactics of kings. With the plague of blood, he stopped up their water supply. The criers were the frogs with their loud croaking. That is just so disturbing. Could you just imagine endless croaking for however long that plague lasted? Just five minutes is more than enough for me. I'm just like, I, I love the sounds of croaking frogs, but I mean, if they're like everywhere, like on your walls and your floor, like coming out of your ceiling, you know, like, and they're just croaking. They're in your stove they're in your fridge and your pantry. They're in your clothes. They're in your closet. They're under your bed. They're in your pillowcases. They're in your clothes and they're croaking. That that's just, Oh, okay. Anyway, I'm getting worked up thinking about it. Yay. Visuals and audios. <laughs> okay. Yay. Audio visuals. Okay, so says his arrows were the fleas, his barbarian hordes were the wild animals. That was ridiculous, by the way. Talk about the stampede that killed Mufasa. That's what ran through Egypt, but like it wasn't just, you know, steeds. It was all sorts of stuff. Just random animals. Like I didn't know monkeys hung out with zebras and gorillas hung out with lions and bears. And like, they're all just coming in. Side note, where are all these exotic animals coming from? And we're in Egypt. Like we're in the middle of a desert. Like, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, there's wild animals out here. It's like, but they're not native to this continent. Well, it doesn't matter just because we're we're being disobedient to Hashem. So we're going outside of natural bounds because naturally our soul wants to be obedient to Hashem, whether we know that or not. So why not Hashem be unnatural against us and helping us to return to him? He'll do whatever it takes. Why don't we do whatever it takes to return to him? Because it works the opposite way too, if we're running away from him. This is why, you know, gay marriage is a thing these days. This is why anti-Semitism is a thing these days. None of those things should exist, by the way. But yet they do because disobedience and an abrogation of Torah exists, which is the very thing that we were created from. 
And it's just like, so we're going outside of natural bounds. So therefore, outside of natural bounds, afflictions are happening. They're coming in hot, as they say. Speaking of hot, uh, it says there were heavy weights. Uh, the heavy weights were the heavy pestilence that killed their livestock. The burning oil was the boils. The cannon shots was the hail which, by the way, was filled with fire. And the multitudinous armies were the locusts. The Egyptians were imprisoned through the plague of darkness. This is why they couldn't move. They couldn't leave because they were in prison. And it says, through the plague of darkness, that happened. Finally, he killed their great ones and the plague of the firstborn. So, like, yeah. Talk about Hashem going to war. And that is from Midrash Tankuma Parsha Bo, number four. And it says, this is a Tanaic source. So, straight from a Tana. All right. So, uh, just a little drop on Tanaic. Okay. Tanaim is from the word Tana, which is the singular which is the person who is a repeater or a teacher. Tanaim is from like Mashiach's birth period to about 200 current era. Okay. Uh, it says approximately 10 CE to 220 CE. And this period of the Tanaim is referred to as the Mishnaic period lasted about 210 years. Which is one of, by the way, the uh, the comments about how long the Egyptian exile was, 210 years. So if you think about it, Tanaim were around during Mashiach, walking around, dropping bombs on people. Drosh bombs, that is. And it's like, oh, Mashiach was during the period of the Tanaim, the teachers and the repeaters. So wait, so let me get this straight. Hashem sends Mashiach. During the time period of teachers and repeaters. And we have this whole understanding that there's nothing new in the New Testament. Okay. That's what I, that's what I just, that's what I'm just asking. I mean, I don't know. I'm just asking. So now. To our Besora, Besora portion. To finish out the C class for this week. So looking at what Basora portion matches up with Parsha Vayera. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 22. Mm -hmm, they show do. Luke chapter 11, 14. And it talks about the people demanding a sign. We want a sign from Shemaim, Mashiach. It's like, well, first of all, I am one, but if you don't, even believe me, but whatever. Here's what it says. Verse 14. Now Yeshua was driving out a demon and it was mute when the demon had. Okay. First of all, it was mute. The demon was mute. So now you got an afflicted demon. That's ridiculous. And it says when the demon had gone out, the mute one spoke and the crowds were amazed. So the demon leaves. The demon's a mute causes this person to be mute. And it's like, okay, so this is kind of a weird exorcism where there's no noise. 
at least not audible like type noise that's that's my sound effect but it was mute noise like maybe just grunts and growls and all that kind of stuff but it was mute person who was being possessed by this demon was also mute so once mashiach drives that out he causes the mute to speak just like moshe was talking about my i can't talk my lips are they're heavy hashem Hashem's like, dude, I created your mouth. I got this. You just need to go. Anyway, so it says, but some among them said by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, he drives out demons. Wow. Some among them, they said that. It says others testing him were demanding a sign from him from Shemaim. Boy, talk about the the crowd. Some people over here like, oh, yeah, he's working uh, demon powers, occultic stuff. And he's going against demon powers and occultic stuff. Yeah. So to rephrase that, he's doing cultic stuff and demonic stuff to get rid of cultic stuff and demonic stuff. There's something wrong with that, by the way, because we're talking about the word of God made flesh here. So if the word of God is demonic and occultic, let's think about that for a second. Anyway, others. So like along with that group, you got this group saying we want a sign from heaven. You demon cultic person. Okay, first of all, you're asking a you're you're insinuating someone is demonic and they they're super like dark side and yet you want them to reveal something from the light side it's like it's either going to be darkness or it's going to be light it's not going to be a demon bringing glory to god like what are you talking about anyway it's kind of weird it's a mixed crowd talk about a mixed multitude or error of rav shall we say yeah that's right People talk about the era of Rav uh, being the people who made us worship the golden calf in the wilderness. But ain't nobody talk about the era of Rav that was totally wreaking havoc in Judaism during the first century, selling Jews out to Rome, crucifying Mashiach and whatnot. But yet we want to be like, oh, those evil Pharisees, those evil Sadducees, those evil Jews. Ooh, say it again. Jews. Ooh, can't believe anybody would want to be Jew. Anybody would want to be Jewish. Anyway, see the Halakha, page 24, about being Jewish. Anyway, so going on, it says in verse 17, but Yeshua, knowing their thoughts. I just want to point out, we say something every day in what's called the Anabekoak, right? Listen to what's in the Anabekoak. Yeah, that's right. The sound of flipping pages. <laughs> it says one. Everybody say one. And only. And only. Exalted one. Exalted one. Okay, so one. Only exalted one. Turn to your nation which proclaims your holiness. Accept our entreaty and hear our cry. Ready? Oh, knower of mysteries. Yeah, that's right. Oh, knower of mysteries. 
So I, so I know I just saw a note on pancakes. So I'm going to swerve real quick because because you know how I love pancakes. Says pancakes. The Cohen Gadol was required to bring a meal offering every day, half in the morning and half in the afternoon. It was baked in a low flat pan called a macha. Makavat, hence the name Machanat Chavitin, which is the Hebrew Chavitin related to Makavat, which is the cakes. And this is talking about the offerings because it talks about up here, it says the meal offering precedes the cakes. The pancakes precede the wine libations. The wine libations precede the musaf. The musaf precedes the bowls of frankincense. Anyway, so the Kohen Gadol is offering pancakes every day. What? Anyway, the more you know when you actually read your Siddur, Tractate Talmud uh, Yoma 33a, talking about the daily offering and that the Cohen is offering pancakes. Although I know, I know it's not pancakes in the way that I would think of them today, but just the word pancakes is in there, and I just love it. Chavitin. So, yeah. Anyway. So, O Noah of Mysteries is the one and only exalted one who we're talking about Hashem, and we're talking about his right hand's greatness. And remember... Mashiach Yeshua is the right hand of Hashem. This is why Yeshua is not separate from Hashem. He's actually one with Hashem because he's Hashem's right hand. He's the utterance and voice of Hashem, became, which became flesh, dwelt among us. Yes, that's right, tabernacle. And he knew people's thoughts. He knew mysteries and hiddenness. Just wanted to point that out. And it says, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is destroyed. Say destroyed. Destroyed. And a house against a house falls. Say falls. Now, I could elaborate, but I'm just going to let Yeshua say it. He says, now, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say by Beelzebub, I drive out demons. But if by Beelzebub, I drive out demons, by whom do your sons drive them out? I.e., I'm doing the same things your sons do. I'm using the word of God. Okay, so. If uh, if I am Beelzebub and I'm doing the same things that y'all do, then. Your Beelzebub. Think about it. Are you Beelzebub? Are you just really giving yourself away right now? Or are you saying you don't really know me and you don't really get me and what I'm doing? You're not really yoked with me. You don't really know my name. You don't really study the Torah. You don't really study me. Anyway, Yeshua is good at asking questions like that. And he says, for this reason, they will be your judges. Yikes. So the demons are going to be their judges. Mm. That's interesting. It says, but 
So let's switch it all the way around. Let's turn the whole thing around. But if the but if by the finger of God I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong one fully armed protects his own estate, his possessions are safe. In other words, Yeshua is like, okay, so obviously it's nonsensical what you're accusing me of. And if that's really your accusation, then that's how you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged by the demonic influences that you think that I'm using. Do you really want that? Because I'm pretty sure that's not a righteous judgment. Just going out on a limb. But Yeshua says, but by the finger of God, I drive out demons. Which just so happens to be in chapter eight of our Torah portion. And it says this. Uh, it, it starts in verse 15. It says the sorcerers said to Paro, it is a strike from before Hashem. I'm reading the Targum Ankelos. Now, you know what? Let me just read the Humash translation. It is a finger of God, but Paro's heart became hardened and he did not listen to them as Hashem had spoken. Now let's read Ankelos. The sorcerer said to Paro, it is a strike from before Hashem. But Paro's heart became hardened and he did not heed them as Hashem had spoken. Ankelos avoids translating Hebrew phrases that refer to Hashem's finger, as in our verse, or his hand, and explains what they mean in context. So now we got finger and now we got hand. And it's like, well, Ankelos don't want to talk about it. That sounds a little too anthropomorphic. You're giving Hashem like these crazy human features. And yet in our Besorah passage, Yeshua is like, listen, by the finger of God, I drive out demons. The kingdom has come to you. Although a strike is typically presented as coming from Hashem's hand, which you can see above in chapter seven, verse four and the note four, the sorcerers refer to the plague of lice as Hashem's finger in order to minimize its severity, seeking to reassure Paro that it could be endured. That's just messed up. It's just like, no, no, no. It's just a strike from Hashem. It's okay. It's just, it's just a strike. It's not, it's not like really Hashem just like is using his hand or anything. We can make it through this. It's fine. It's just a little death. It's okay. And it's just like, really? The same way Mashiach is driving out demons over here. It's just like, oh, it's just a little driving out of demons. Nothing to see here. That's the finger of God, y'all. Just want to just say lie, okay? The finger of God, like a very minimal thing that it's endurable. Like, it's like, okay, we can we can make it through this. It's like, he's just driving out demons. And by the way, that's, that's Beelzebub stuff anyway. So he's like a demon like power person, like nothing to see here. This can't be your Mashiach. Why don't we just ask him for a sign from heaven? I mean, cause if he's already working in these demonic powers, then surely he'll be able to give us a sign from heaven. It's like that kind of logic does not compute. That's like saying, Oh, you're a Jew. You're not Jewish. That's as much sense as it makes the same way. The phrase, my favorite phrase, here it comes. 
Truth over facts. It's like, wait, what? What did you just say? That's as much sense as this Basora passage is, as far as his accusation. Not the Basora passage itself, but I'm talking about the accusations made against Mashiach. So anyway, the finger of God is called a strike. But I want to go back to chapter 7 and verse 4, since Uncle OG over here don't want to talk about nothing. Yeah, I call Uncleos, I call him OG. OG Uncleos. He says in his translation, power will not heed you, and I shall put the stroke of my might upon Egypt. Yeah, that's right. My hand, because that's what the Humash says, it says my hand. But Uncle was like, ah, I shall put the stroke of my might. We'll just make it all fancy. Hashem's hand. Okay, because by the way, when he does this, he's bringing more revelation, which is just saying Hashem's hand is called the stroke of his might which, by the way, is giving more testimony to what Yeshua is actually doing, which he says, but if by the finger of God I drive out demons. He's literally saying, by the stroke of the might of God, okay, which is insinuated, which is connected to, Slika, connected to the kingdom of God being brought to you. So the stroke of my might, the finger of God, the strike of God is brought to you by the kingdom of God. Anyway, so if you ever come across any of that, that's what that means. He says, ordinarily, when the Torah refers to Hashem's hand inflicting punishment or death, Uncle Oates presents it as his strike. See below in chapter nine, verse three which is not what we just read. So there's another insight, but we're not going to go to that. It says, however, in verses that describe Hashem's hand as striking the Egyptians, Ankylos presents it as machat, which is like a, 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 a lash, givurta, uh, which is might from the word gibor. It says, this is in accordance with the Gemara Barakot 58a, which teaches that Gevorah of Hashem mentioned in, where do we go? Mentioned in 1st Divrei Hayamim, 1st Chronicles 29.1, refers to his deliverance of his Jewish people from the Egyptian bondage. Did, did, did we just hear? that the Gevura of Hashem refers to his deliverance, which is talking about the strike of his might, his hand, his finger. And Yeshua just says the finger of God. And it says the kingdom of God has come to you. Yeah. Yeah. That just, that's what happens. Hashem's kingdom is his deliverance, which is his might, which is the power of his hand, the power of his finger. Okay, that's how we're going to do it, huh? All right, so, and then I, look, I tabbed a little page here because I wanted to go back to our point about let my people go. So in chapter 9, and Moshe says this plenty of times, obviously, but specifically here, I wanted to read it. It says in chapter 9, verse 1 of Shemot, because we're in Parsha, it says, Hashem said to Moshe, 
Come to Paro and speak to him. By the way, it says come to Paro. It doesn't say like go to Paro, which is interesting because what word does it use there? Bo, which by the way means go, come, return. So when we're saying Bo Yeshua Bo, we're saying come Yeshua come or return Yeshua return or go Yeshua go. Either way. We need some Yeshua up in here. So anyway, just a side note. It says, so come to Paro and speak to him. So said Hashem, the God of the Hebrews. Oh, snap. The God of the Hebrews. What do you mean? The Jews? Because now Ankelo says, no, so said Hashem, the God of the Jews. Mm. Okay, let's go back. Because he got a footnote. He says, see 115. So chapter one, verse 15, note 15. I know. This is just this is just to triple down and bajillion down about how people go. No, Jews are not Hebrews or Israelites. Listen to this, y'all. It says attempting further to curtail the Jews growth. The king of Egypt said to the Jewish midwives of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other one was Pua. So it says, right. So see that verse and then um, see note 15. It says these were Yaakovet, Moshe's sister, or Moshe Sliga. These were Yaakovet, Moshe's mother, and her daughter, which is Miriam, i.e. Moshe's sister. Yeah, so Yaakovet, Moshe's mother, Miriam was the daughter of Yaakovet, which is Moshe's sister. Yaakovet was called Shifra because she would beautify, which is Meshaperet, the newborns. And Miriam was called Pua because she would coo, which is Poa, soothingly to the babies. That's Rashi. Throughout the book of Bereshis, Ankelos translates, uh, translated Evrim, which is the word for Hebrews, as Ivare, which is Hebrews in Aramaic. And it says, in the book of Shemot and onward, however, he generally translates it as Yehudae, which is Yehudim, which is Jews. So now you got the same word Ivri, which is Hebrew, being translated as Yehudi, which is Jew. It says this may be explained based on the Midrash that states in Bereshit Rabbah 98.6 that when Yaakov blessed Yehuda with kingship, he told him that the entire Jewish people, he told him that the entire Jewish people, Everybody repeat this with me. He, Yaakov, told Yehuda, okay, that the entire Jewish people would go by the name Yehudi, which is derived from his name, Yehuda. This is why all Jews are called Hebrews, Israelites, Judites, basically, Jews. All Israel, all Hebrews, all Israelites call Jews. Okay, and it says, which is derived from the name Yehuda, accordingly in the book of Shemot, which follows Yaakov's blessings in Vayaki, Ankelos begins to use that name. What name? Jews. On the curtail of the blessings, Hebrews are called Jews. And they were first called that 
well, first called that a long time ago by Abraham, but um, now really being called that in translation by Ankylos during exile and the deliverance from Egypt. So that's a Selah for the moment. Okay, anyway, so send out my people that they may perform the service before me. So literally, what's the phrase? Shalach et ami ve duni. Ve duni. So send forth the olive tav of my people, which if we send forth the olive tav, the people who are connected to the olive tav go with him too. Ve duni and worship me. Serve me. Be people of Avoda. That's what that means. So, yeah, so it's not just us being set free and let go, but like we're set free for the purpose of worship, performing service before Hashem. How do we do that? Well, you got to do that by doing what Hashem told us to do to serve him, which is being observant in Torah, which would be verse 21 in our Luke chapter 11, where he says, when a strong one, fully armed, protects his own estate, his possessions are safe. You want to save yourself from your own paro? You want to save yourself from your own doom and destruction in your own life? Put a strong person in place, which would be Mashiach Yeshua, the Torah, which is you channeling your inner Moshe to submit and subject yourself to Hashem's Torah, his word, his kingdom, his voice. So that is what a Jew is, and that is our parsha for the week, that it is the might and the power of Hashem, which is our deliverance and our service to God, which causes us to be victorious, keep our houses safe, you know, and be free for God to bring light into the world. And it's not just us winging it. It's not just us doing our own thing, but it's us bringing in the get you some. So get you some nation, Lapid nation, spark on, as we say. And uh, remember, stay humble, you know, and be like Moshe. Lay Moshe. Let's all of us do that. And uh, we're Avengers. So let's avenge the world until Mashiach gets here. And when he gets here, then we can celebrate for just a little bit <laughs> or a lot of bit. Okay, Baruch Hashem. So let us all say Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekhaye Olam Natabetokeinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen.